like to make an announcement. Hogwarts Castle will not only be your home this year, but home to some very special guests as well. Please welcome our friends from the north, the proud sons of Darmstrang. And now, the lovely ladies of Bow Battens. I was just wondering if maybe you wanted to go to the ball with me. Mr. Weasley, place your right hand on my waist. Where? Is that Hermione Granger with Victor Crumb? You're fraternising with the enemy. The enemy? Hogwarts has been chosen to host a legendary event, the Triwizard Tournament. And now, the champion selection, Victor Crump, Sarah Delacour, Cedric Diggory, Harry Potter! How did you do? I didn't put my name in that cup. I don't want eternal glory. It's not our moody. Father <laughs> Kedavra. The killing curse. Only one person is known to have survived it, and he's sitting in this room. People die in this tournament. The devils are inside the walls. Something's coming closer. I can feel it. The Dark Lord shall rise again. Is it Voldemort? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and I am once again joined by Dave and Holly Weeder. And we all know that if Holly is here, we're talking Harry Potter. So we are up to our fourth episode, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Hey, guys. Welcome aboard. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us again. It's always my pleasure, and we'll just pretend like we haven't been talking about nonsense for about half an hour or so. <laughs> okay, so now... We might as well dive right in. I'm, I'm actually punching it up on my computer as we speak, but uh, getting past all the porn. Pornado. Pornado. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> you guys are picking up too much from this earlier conversation. <laughs> anyway, uh, as was my tradition with every Harry Potter movie we've had so far, I read the book. I listened to the, uh, well, actually, i got to correct that. The first one, I just read the book. But after that, I read the book, listened to the audio, and then watched the movie. And for that reason, I feel the most conflicted about this particular movie and giving a review of it. And I'll tell you the reason is I have a very hard time separating the movie from the book in this case, and I feel like my review is more about the film adaptation of the book and less of the film on its own. Hmm. So I, I don't agree. I don't know if, if either of you read the book first. I don't remember. I know we've talked about this stuff before, but I don't. Yeah, I did. This is the first time I'd read. I'd read up through um, the sixth book at this point. So this is the first movie I actually saw in the theater after reading the book. And I had not read the book yet. Yeah, and we were just dating at the time this movie came out, so I was watching her through half the movie. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, if all you were doing was watching her when you were dating, that's showing tremendous restraint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was just watching me for my reaction to the movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's what he meant. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but there is there is an element of dating and uh, not caring what movie you actually go to see. Yeah. <laughs> but this this is back in 2005, so it's 13 years ago, and the novel was actually in 2000. And I remember before I read any of the Harry Potter books, uh, this this book was out before I started reading any of them, and I read this before the fifth book came out. So this is kind of where I latched onto them. But that gave me a chance to have read all of them. I did manage to read each one before I saw any movie. So I always did have that uh, that combination of reading it first and then seeing it. 
but this is the one where I felt it varied most off of the material. Not so much that it changed the story, but that it streamlined it a lot. A lot. Mm -hmm. And, and that was the biggest problem I had with it. In some ways, because of that, it's my least favorite movie. Yeah, I wouldn't put it as my least favorite. It's it's definitely my favorite book, but I went in with the expectation that my my you know I'd be disappointed with the film adaptation. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there is a thought you know among many people that virtually every time you go to see a movie that you've read the book first, you're going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And the only two that universally seem to escape that criticism are Jaws and The Godfather. Ooh, Jurassic Park is pretty close. Don't, I, not quite in that caliber, though. I had read Jurassic Park. I have not had that sh- that movie on the show yet. Uh, I had read it. I was extremely excited by the movie. And that's a movie, and again, maybe one day we'll discuss that, so I don't want to go too far into it. But that's a movie that I actually enjoy much more now than I did when I first saw it in the movie theater. Hmm. And I think it's because time has dulled some of my memory of the book. Whereas, like this one, I was disappointed that there were things in the book that didn't make it into the movie. But we'll go back to this one. In this one, I felt that the cutting of things out of this, uh, the streamlining of it, made the pacing of the movie and uh, just the story overall feel much more choppy. Uh, along with just having disappointment. And in particular, I would say the most significant of that was the uh, the World Cup at the beginning of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah that was, out, I mean, everything. <laughs> it was pretty much omitted, everything, yeah. yeah There's they, a lot they, of, of, of exposition that was gone from that, too. Yeah, and they, they built up to it, and they you know they had the whole build-up, and then they just said, okay, the tournament's over. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. That's how you, but I wanted to see all of that stuff. Yeah, it so, would have been so cool to see that on screen. But then you'd have like a six-hour movie. Okay. Yeah, no, oh. I, I understand that you do. You know, you you couldn't. You'd have to make it a miniseries or or a you know. <laughs> there, there was. I don't know if we talked about this in prior episodes, but there was an article I had read while these movies were coming out that said if they ever wanted to reboot or revisit it, it really would be a good thing to do like an HBO ten-episode series and do one for each season mm-hmm. or for, for each school year. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I don't think I think even with the earlier books, that, which are thinner, I think I don't think you'd have to put very much padding in at all. No, not at all, because they yeah. left out a lot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it, but in, I I felt that this is the one they left out the most. Yeah, I think this one was it would it definitely would have benefited if they had actually split it into two movies. Yeah. because yeah. there's so much in the book that they just I mean plot lines, storylines, big major things that happen they just totally streamlined like you said and then it made him made it more choppy and i I agree with that as a concept because i think if you had four hours to do this or four and a half hours or even five hours between two movies you really could get a better better version of what the book has i'm trying to think if there's a natural split point in it where you'd say okay that's the first half uh and I'm getting ahead of myself by talking about uh, the Deathly Hollows. I didn't feel that that had a natural split point in it, and yet they managed to do it. So yeah. I'm sure they could have found a place in here, you know, roughly halfway through the story to say, okay, that's where we're going to put a cliffhanger. Ooh, probably after the first challenge. That's where I would put it. Or maybe just as he realizes what the second challenge is or something along those lines, you know? Yeah, it could have been done. But yeah. My experience with the book, even though it's my favorite, was, was I mean, I had blasted through the first three already, so I was starting to lose steam, and I was really starting to hit, you know, the wall with this one, just as it, and of course, it, it redeemed itself with the moment towards the end, but I, I could see why some of this was streamlined, but it just wasn't skillfully streamlined. I would accept that. I think it probably could have been streamlined better, uh, and, and that's not to say that I don't enjoy this movie. I don't want right. to take this too far off the rails. I enjoy this just like I enjoy the other ones. And I do think, as I said with Jurassic Park, time has a way of killing some of your memories of some of the finer points of the book. And then you start forgetting some of the things that aren't in the movie because you don't have them repeatedly presented to you. And then it's you know it's, it starts becoming a little bit more vague, and this becomes, starts to become the definitive version almost. Because it's the one that you experience most frequently. Hmm. It's easier access, that's for sure. You'll be two hour, two hours versus how many of our hours it would take you to read the book. It's a thick book. Yeah. Oh, it is. And uh, 
Well, I, I find also that the repeated access to the movie isn't even always by choice. I don't sit there necessarily and say, you know what, I'm going to break out the DVD or the Blu-ray, rather, of Goblet of Fire. Because uh, more often than not, I'll be going by whatever they call ABC Family now, and it's on. <laughs> and and it's I just, all, you, yeah, you can pretty much flip on that any time if there's a Harry Potter movie. Yeah, and they do the marathon, which sometimes makes me scratch my head because they don't always start at one and end with eight. Eight? Eight. Yeah, uh, yeah they bounce them around for some reason. Yeah, or, or they'll just skip one. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, why, you know, why are we going right into this? But, I mean, every one of them has its own standalone quality to it anyway, uh, With I guess with the exception of the final two, which you almost have to view together. I, I do think, I think at that point, um, again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think at that point they knew they had an audience that was going to be loyal and that they could, they could end it at that point and then people would come back to see the other half. I, th- I think if that had been earlier in the series, they might have lost some people. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it was a big, yeah, if it was one or two, a bit of big risk. At that point, we everybody had already invested. What was one more movie? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On this one, I'm thinking, like, if they had actually put in the whole, like, some of the storylines that they had cut out, I would almost say split the movie right when Harry's name comes out of the goblet. And then next movie, <laughs> I mean, because there's so much stuff that happens at the first, you know, with the whole World Cup, they could have left in with the Death Eater showing up, the house elves. <laughs> I mean, there's mm-hmm. a bunch. Um, I'm yeah, I really missed some of that stuff. Now, I, I was I hadn't read the books when I or when I first saw this, so I didn't know a lot of that. But I do agree that watching it, it was like I had questions of things like that happened now when you having reversed the experience that dave and i did uh when you read the book did you find yourself a lot of times saying oh that's what happened or you know oh they didn't do this in a movie i wish they had oh yeah because it's a totally different way to attack the same situation i'm you know i'm watching the movie waiting to see certain things and it's like oh wait a minute they're already past that and they didn't show it so you know it was a little bit different but uh i would think in this case, I would think your experience would almost be more fulfilling, uh, you know, because because I think it, it on a, on its own, I think it is a fairly good or a pretty good standalone movie, mm-hmm. right? So if you see it and it's your first experience with it, you walk. I would think you'd walk away fairly satisfied by it, <clears throat> but then you read the book and you let you know it's it's like oh, there's other stuff. This you know, like it it almost enhances the experience then to to read about these other things that were left out. Whereas, again, from my perspective, I was waiting to see these things, and I almost felt a little disappointed that I didn't. I could see that, because, and it almost, I mean, it doesn't change the genre. I don't think that's quite it, but the book was very much a, a mystery, and it had multiple things going on. The movie takes a lot of the mystery out, because there were a lot of questions that had to be doled out throughout that book right. that were, let's not pose the question here, let's just give you the answer. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember the finer details of the book, because I believe the book was a little bit more of an honest mystery in that I think they had given some clues that if you were astute enough, you might have figured out what was going on. Whereas in the book, in the movie, I don't think they really gave you clues until they made the reveal at the end of, you know, who was who. Uh, I, I don't think they really expected you to ever figure it out on your own. And that wasn't really what they were trying to get you to do. Yeah, they kind of simplified it. They they didn't necessarily go for the action movie, but yeah, they went for spectacle over over mystery. Agreed, but they still left some unanswered questions. Like just based on the movie, there are things that happen that you're like, wait, but what happened to like Barty Crouch Jr.? What he just kind of disappeared? Like, <laughs> yeah, they don't explain that. <laughs> they don't at explain all. that at all. Um, yeah, well, yeah, and in the in the book they explain it very well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but in in the movie. They kind of introduce Barty Crouch to you about halfway through the movie in the flashback sequence, although you do see him in the opener. Right. But there's no explanation as to who he is in the opener. Right. He's just another guy who's there with uh, a very creepy Voldemort thing. Yeah. Uh, and and Wormtail. And that poor housekeeper that gets killed. <laughs> and that was that was a very good sequence in the book as well, as I recall. Right. I, I thought that was well presented uh this is the first one that doesn't open up uh, we don't have any uh, aunt petunia and uncle uh, uh what's vernon. his name uncle vernon. uncle vernon yeah 
Right. He's just at the Weasley's house and they're like, how did you, when did you get here last night? Where are we going? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know where you're going. You're going to the Quidditch World Cup. It's a big deal. (laughs) But that opening sequence, I mean, even in in the book and in the movie, that's the moment you realize this is, this is a series that's taking a turn. Yeah. (laughs) And it's getting dark. Well, I see, I, I feel like we took that turn in the last book. Towards when, the end of when the we last start, When we started getting into werewolves and murders right, and Azkaban. Right, kill someone in the very beginning. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes, true. Very true. Um, so I'm glad they kept that sequence in because they could have easily omitted that. Right. And yet I felt, well, and I, I think this may be a, uh, a reflection on what we should uh, mention is that we changed directors again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the last one was directed by Alfonso Caron. Yep. And yep. this one is directed by Mike Newell. Uh, my understanding was they kind of thought Caron was going to stay on and that he, he decided it to be a one and done. And I think that may have been a factor of just how much work it took for him to put together the last movie. <laughs> so Mike Newell took it over. And while you have some very dark sequences in here, in particular the very beginning opening sequence and the uh, most of the end, yeah. from basically from when they get into the maze on. But other than that, I felt it had a lighter tone than Prisoner, Prisoner of Azkaban. That's true. A lot more humor. Well, yeah, you had the dancing and the, <laughs> <laughs> the twins trying to get their name in the Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. And, and even the challenges, they were adventurous, but they didn't feel dark. Right. Until we got into the maze. Sorry. What were you saying? There's always a loom. There's always a loom of danger, which is there present in the others. But with that opening sequence, you're like, I don't know what's about to happen. And I get a dreadful feeling. And and the way it's set up, I think, in the movie and in the book is you have that opening sequence and then they quickly turn the page on it. And it's almost forgotten by the time you get to the end. And then you say, oh, that's what was happening there. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it, it's. I, I think that's that's well laid out, and I, I you know you got to give J.K. Rowling the credit for that because the book and the and the movie are the same as far as that goes. So in this movie, we're introduced to a couple of new characters. A couple. We could touch <laughs> on well, a few, <laughs> but uh, you know, most significantly, I would say are uh, Brendan Gleeson playing Mad Eye Moody, and as always, when I read it, I pictured. Uh, oh, damn, I'm just drawing a blank. Uh, from from Flash Gordon again. Oh, Bl- Brian Blessed. Flash As I read the book, that's what I'm picturing. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, loud, boisterous. Uh, Grizzled. He, he really wasn't quite what I pictured because... As I read the book, I pictured him as being much more scary looking. Right. You know, the eye didn't have that, that ominous feel about it that I that I expected. Uh, I mean, he, he looked imposing, but not necessarily scary. Yeah, if right. that makes no. sense. Yeah, I really ended up liking him, but yeah, I totally agree with you. From the book description, not quite what I thought, but Brennan Gleeson's just a genius, so yeah. I didn't mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I thought he was really good. And I'll tell you, I did not picture Voldemort looking like Ralph Fiennes. No, but it, no. it works. It I does work. I can't anything else now. But I pictured... Uh, I picture actually in my head, you know, I, I cast things in my head when I'm reading a book, and this time I cast it with a cartoon character uh, because I was picturing uh, Jafar from uh, Aladdin. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's that's what I had in my mind. Uh, and then we got Ralph Fiennes, and the whole no nose, snaky look was so far different from what I expected, but as you say, very effective. Right. They skipped the red eyes, but that's okay. I can I can see why. Because it, it didn't really translate on screen. It came across more cartoony. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't going to do contacts because it's Ray Fiennes. <laughs> I'm Ray Fiennes. You don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was, I thought, appropriately uh, just threatening uh, and and just creepy. So I, I thought that was very good. We had, uh, why did they not list every name here? Uh, who did we have playing... Uh, I'm going to have to edit just because I'm so stupid. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, Cedric Gig- Diggory was... Robert Pattinson. Oh, all he knows Robert Pattinson. Oh, yeah, because he's a Twilight dude. Yeah, yeah but um, I, this is where I discovered him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yeah. to his credit, he was exactly how I pictured Cedric. Right. Perfect and, cast. And I would agree. I thought he was well cast in this. Now, I, I have not, and good chance I never will uh, see any of the Twilight movies, so I can't comment on 
how he does in them. But You're in this, much. in this, I thought he did a really good job. I thought, uh, I thought he was effectively like you could see where he'd be popular among his schoolmates. He was also, you know, a good guy because he was, you know, uh, he was honorable with Harry. And I, I thought, yeah, you know, like you said, I thought very well cast in the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also met uh, Rita Skeeter by, <laughs> by Miranda Richardson, who was. She was pretty much what I pictured as well. Right. Yeah. And she, again, also played it perfectly. She's so deliciously horrible. Yeah. Like, you kind of like her and don't at the same time. (laughs) One of the things about her uh, that was in the book and not in the movie is that she's an animagus. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I skip. And that was that was good because that was kind of used against her at the end to to just shut her down. Uh, And... I guess they just felt they didn't have time for it. I'm wondering, I've never seen, uh, I don't know if you guys have, but are there any uh, you know, filmed scenes that got edited out, any outtakes that were worth looking into? Not a lot that I can recall. I can't remember, and I didn't watch them last night when I rewatched the movie. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I think, well, there's some extended scenes, but I don't think there's really anything that you're missing a whole lot of. The streamlining continues, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we got uh, Clemence Posey as Fleur de la Cour. Now, I got to say, I thought this was a little bit of a miss. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. In the book, you know, she's descri- described as being, you know, part of that uh, whatever race Vila. they are, Vila's. And you, you just look at them and you automatically fall in love with them. And, you know, they have kind of whatever pher- pheromone that they're letting off that makes people do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only one who did that was Ron. <laughs> <laughs> that's true and and she is a beautiful girl i mean yeah. you see her in in bruges yeah and she's gorgeous and she's gorgeous and in this one they just she just didn't really shine she looked like a normal girl they made her weak and fleur is not weak. not weak at all yeah that's that was the point i was going to make is that you know you you have uh you know victor crumb who we'll talk about in a moment who you know is uh very imposing. You have Cedric Diggory, who also is, you know, the the big man on campus at Hogwarts. You have Harry, who's the boy who lived, and then you just have some random girl. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. what it felt like, and you know, it just felt wrong. Yeah, I mean, for for a book series that actually has very strong female characters like um, McGonagall, um, even to some extent Umbridge, Hermione, Hermione. This was a miss in the movie. This was something that could have been a really good female booster. And it just, and it's from a female author. Bear that in mind. That's why I say that. And it just didn't try. Yeah. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Victor Crumb. Now, he was not what I pictured. I pictured him as being bigger, more imposing. Not necessarily bigger, maybe almost more squat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somebody like that looked like a, I, I pictured somebody who looked like a wrestler. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's yeah. not what we got, but but he was he did look athletic in his own way, and I still thought he was a good cast choice, even though he wasn't what I pictured. Yeah, Stan Gavinsky. Sorry, I'm slaughtering his name. He just didn't have a lot to do, though. No, I he, mean in terms of emoting or delivering anything, he was just he, he was there in a perfunctory fashion, and that's it. Right. In fact, the, as far as the look goes, there's another guy there that's always around and he's a drumstring and he's hanging out they call him the they call him Karkoff's aide and he looks like what Victor Crumb is supposed to look like with a mm-hmm. sharp hooked nose like an eagle and dark flowing hair and dark walking eyes like a duck. And walking like a duck you know really not all that good looking but a great flyer <laughs> yeah and I, I even when I read the book I uh, I kind of thought based on the initial description of him during the World Cup uh, that I, I didn't picture him as being of an age to compete with them. You know that he—I didn't picture him as being in school still. And then when it turned out he was, that was a surprising reveal to me in the book. Right. I did like the introduction of the Durmstrang school when they come in and they're hitting the sticks and the sparks are flying and everything. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Well, yeah, you know, very really well done. Cool. And the bow battens are like. Ah, okay, <laughs> that's boring. <laughs> and that translates well to the to the theme park. They actually have those performances. Yeah. So it actually is a nice performance piece that is is good outside the movie as well. I think my only issue with that is that not 
all drum string were boys. They were, you know, a mixture of boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the Bobatons. It was boys and girls, but they decided to make them both boys and girls schools instead. I didn't understand that thought process, but okay. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly why they did it, did that either, actually. Uh, what else do we, who else do we have here? We have uh, uh, Olympia Maxime, who is the uh, headmistress at uh, Beaubaton. And she's, she was, yeah, she, she was okay. Yeah, uh, I I kind of had this, you know, she was cast the way she is in the book, but she was kind of annoying in the book, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was not really exposed much to Doctor Who uh, until after I saw this. Mm-hmm. So I was not familiar with David Tennant. Uh, I thought he was well cast. I thought he had, you know, he had the good crazy like i mean he, he's generally a good looking guy and you know as, as doctor who he plays a heroic guy and now all of a sudden he's playing crazy <laughs> and i thought he played crazy really well he does play crazy well yeah. but Except he had mannerisms the the licking of the the flicking of the tongue was something that, that just, was his thing i know it annoyed me <laughs> did it really and i loved i love david Tennant. he's my doctor but that it wasn't a terrible performance. He just the mannerism started bothering me. It was over the top, and he's not that kind of actor. No, but that's that's almost where I felt like it works. Uh, and again, I wasn't that familiar with him. You know, I, I barely knew who he was at the time. Uh, but I, I almost feel like they cast him against type, and that that kind of worked. Well, had he he hadn't become the Doctor yet. Oh no, he no. wasn't yet. Okay, not I wasn't yet. Even... No, because that was during Eccleston's time. Oh. During Eccleston's one season. Yeah. Because when they cast him, he's like, oh, it's Barty Crouch Jr. I'm like, oh, okay, I know who that guy is now. <laughs> yeah, I think they could have done a better job of estab- just establishing who he was so that the reveal at the end would seem more shocking. Agreed. But, that's, you know, again, they're, they're, you know, how, how long was this? It was 157 minutes. So two hours and, yeah. Two hours and, almost two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, but it, it moves along at a brisk pace, even though I feel the pacing is choppy. Uh it's not that any of the scenes go along slow or get boring. It's just that sometimes the transitions don't seem correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, you, you know, it's a little abrupt going from one subject matter to another. Uh, so that that's my problem with the pacing. Not so much, you know, that that it was inconsistent in its moving along. I just think that there were some uh, script choices or editing choices that could have been done a little bit more smoothly. I also yeah. felt that they could have done a little bit, bit of a better job of uh, establishing Cho Chang as Harry's uh, crush. They kind Agreed. of threw it in there quick and just expected you to understand what it was all about. Uh, you know, again, this this could have easily been a three-and-a-half-hour movie to do all the things I would have liked for them to do it, or even four hours, which then goes back to the thought process of you could have split it down the middle. But and and they are introducing so many new characters. I mean, we still have some to go, and then they just kind of like throw them in. Like, <laughs> hey, there's Cho. This is a new person. <laughs> Although Katie was great casting. I mean, she looks exactly the part, and I thought she played it really well. Oh yeah, an Irish, uh, Irish speaking Asian. Yeah, yeah. she was. And she's beautiful. She is gorgeous. I'll give I'll give you all of that. I think I agree <laughs> with you. I agree with you totally. Uh, just again, you know, you need you need to work with these, uh, you know, work these people in a little bit. And again, you know, I, I think it's a tall task because you're trying to put a lot of information in and, you know, as it is, they spent two hours and 40 minutes and didn't really get it all in. Yeah. So I, I, think I, I, I th- totally understand. They did miss some foundational things. Like you said, Barty Crouch Jr. There was a lot there. And I think even just a few more specs of information would have helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, one character who wasn't particularly pivotal but had one of the key moments, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm not seeing the name of the actor who portrayed him, uh, is uh, Cedric's father. Amos oh. Degree? Yes. Um, he, car- he, actor is Jeff Raleigh? Okay. Uh, his his performance was almost a little annoying. Uh, and, and, it's, and it is in the book, too, so I think he was doing it as written. Mm-hmm. But the scene at the end when Cedric is dead, and he comes over and he's, that's my boy, that part... Yeah, that that makes me get a little choked up every time. I weep yeah. every single time, and it, it, his performance, and then like the score and the strings behind it—it's just even Draco looking uh, shocked. That whole yeah, that whole scene is just that's 
that's well directed. Well, I mean, that's probably the key because it takes your emotions where you weren't really expecting to go in this movie. No, no, absolutely not. And like I said, that that for for any other weaknesses either of the character or of the uh, portrayal uh, that I could go with, that one stands out to me as just one of the like a great moment of of emotion. Mm-hmm. And so you know, he was a minor character, but he had a a very big effect on me when it was all done. The other the other the line that always comes back, and I, I do find myself using it a lot, uh, although never seriously is kill despair. Yeah. Ugh. That was the moment in the book. And, and this is when I'm watching Holly intently when we're seeing <laughs> the movie, but in the book and in the movie itself, I mean, that's just, that's a dagger to the, that's the moment that you just freeze because it's not like a big dramatic death. It's just bam, you're dead. That's it. And Cedric's gone. And they and, got that right in the movie. And that's the moment where you really start to feel that Voldemort is a true threat and horror Mm-hmm. As opposed to just a concept of horror. Right. Agreed. No hesitation, no res- reservation at all. Just, just kill the spare. Yeah. No, no regret, no, no, no uh, regard for the life that he's taking or that he's having taken. You know, to- total, co- totally cold and just, just eliminating him because he presents kind of a nuisance to him. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all it is. So that that to me was a, it was a, a pivotal moment, or those are two pivotal moments when when they kill him, and when his father finds out that he's dead. Uh, one of the things I think, one of the things I felt like the movie left out that would have been a real could have been a real good moment is when Harry came back and the Ministry of Magic didn't believe him, mm. right, and just you know wanted to just sweep what happened under the carpet. I felt that that would have been a that would have been a good way to leave it as a cliffhanger for the next movie, and I, I'm not really sure why they uh, why they took that out. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think they could have that would have given it even more weight and emotion. Like you know, that's where Dumbledore is like, look, Fudge, he's back. You have to accept it, and Fudge just won't won't even accept it. And he's like, this is where we part then this is where we part ways. And that explains a little bit more in like the next movie. Like where did all of this come from? Why is he suddenly thinking Dumbledore is crazy? How is he turning Harry? You know, again, that's the next movie, but still it would have been like a way to leave it off. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you you don't have to, you're not going to have a happy ending really. No. So, so why even bother trying? Just go right to, you know, make, make this the, uh, the Empire Strikes Back of of the movies, where you know it, it, it's over. He was somewhat successful, but the cost was too high, and everything's turned against him now. And again, with you know what happens to Barty Crouch Jr. He was he still up in the room? Did they send him back to Escaman when really the Dementors came in and sweeped down on him and gave him the Dementors kiss, which also shows Voldemort's like he doesn't even care about his loyal supporters. Like, <laughs> and that would have yes. been a cool looking scene in the movie uh, as well. Yeah, and, and I mean. Barty is doing this expecting to be, you know, honored among Voldemort's uh, world, whatever, but but ends up dead because they, they, he's useless to them now. In fact, he's, he's a liability. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, again, starts setting up the next movie. Then, then you have the next one, and then it's, you know, why are the Dementors attacking Harry? How are they doing this without any approval from the Ministry? Well, remember when they attacked Barty Cross Jr. in the yeah. last one? You know, it's just things like that, and... But I know setting up for the next movie, but still, but still, it answers. sets the stakes. <laughs> you know, the stakes are high now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things in the book, one of the characters in the book, and he's not a major character, but I was a little disappointed to to not see him in the movie was uh, Ludo Bagman because <laughs> I found him to just be funny. Oh, he was interesting and entertaining. Yeah. So I, I I don't remember who it was I had pictured in his role, but I did have a specific actor at the time that I thought would have been perfect, but I don't even remember who it was now. Anyway, the one sequence that I was very, very curious to see that they did, and I thought they pulled it off fairly well, was the, uh, was it called prior incantatum? When when the two wands connect connect Mm -hmm. and the people that he's killed, their essence comes to life effectively for a short period. And I, I thought they pulled that off pretty well. I, I like I, the plasma effect that is kind of a, it's like a volcanic that's just coming off of it, liquid heat. 
with almost an electric feel to it. Yeah. Right. In fact, actually, the whole graveyard scene, I think, plays really well and actually is very well adapted to the mm-hmm. book. I mean, there's very few changes that they made that I didn't have any problems with them. That yeah. whole that's it, when it, like the movie gets going and yeah. for me. <laughs> well, it's and you're down to like the last ten minutes or so at that yeah. point. But uh, I really liked you know when when Voldemort calls him out and Harry has to dig deep and he just stands up and he faces him. I just thought that was great. Right. And and then you know he's true to himself. What you know what does he do? Does he try and uh, adavra cadaver him? No, he's you know expelliarmus still. Yeah. It, it's just you know he he's true to himself. In Voldemort, I mean, what you're dealing with is a, a grown man trying to kill a teenage boy, and he's already killed one. There's certain underlying horrific tones to that. Mm-hmm. That luckily this this the book and the movie skirt it. It's there, but it doesn't dwell on it to make you feel completely uncomfortable. Well, and I and I think the whole process is it doesn't matter to Voldemort if it's a a boy or if it's an infant. Mm-hmm. Anything that's in his way, he's just gonna kill. Yep, without hesitation and regard, just like you said. So it, it, it's it's not like he sits there and calculates. Oh well, I got to kill a young person. It's, it doesn't matter. He has no you know no no regard for anyone but his own machinations. Well, not even them. Yeah, <laughs> just himself. Just himself. And and even then, his his yeah his cohorts. You know, he he. Although that I I didn't think that pulled. That played off all that well when he pulls the masks off of them and they collapse. Like, you know, why are they collapsing? I don't really understand. Is he, is he casting a spell here? What is he doing? But even them, he, you know, he attacks them in his own way to just reestablish himself as the head of the pecking order. Right. So, and we, you know, we, we do effectively have a cliffhanger ending because he's alive again. Yeah. And as I was reading these books and I had already finished three. This was the fourth one. The fifth one had not yet come out. I was just, at this point, I was thinking, okay, every book is going to be, this is Voldemort's effort to come back and Harry thwarts it. And that's what, we're going we're to get seven books of that. So she did turn it a little bit on its ear as far as I was concerned, because I was not expecting Voldemort to actually come back. I thought this was all going to be, you know, fighting his followers and his various, you know, his spirit in various ways. So we, we but, did we did get a different turn than I expected. Yeah, she, and it, she definitely knows how to keep you going. Four books in. Yeah, and it was I mean it was a strong turn too. It was you know it was like oh my god now now what's going to happen and and you know you know that there's three more books to go. It's not like okay you know we're going into the final book. There's three books to go. What is she going to do with this? And to some extent, I feel that that's kept alive in the movie. Yeah. You know, you, you don't know what to expect going into the sixth movie. Uh, this one, if I understood correctly, John Williams did not do the score in this. They did use Hedwig's theme, but he didn't do the score. Mm-mm. They had, who who did it? Let's see, Patrick Doyle, I guess, is the is listed as the music person. Right. Uh, did the score stand out to you at all? It does to me. Yeah. I like that there's a different, you know, you have thematic ties, but something different in each movie. That it's it's just a, a tapestry that keeps getting added to. Mm-hmm. I would say it didn't really stand out to me, and I'm not a huge score person. I generally don't notice them. They, you know, they'll enhance the movie, but if I'm noticing them while I'm watching it the first time, you know, there's something wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they, like I said, I need them to enhance the movie, not to take over it. Yeah, uh, I I would say the first time I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, I didn't even know uh, that theme. I think this is the first time I ever really noticed a score because uh, I'm with you. I'm not a big score person, but specifically in Cedric's death scene, that the strings in the background and it just it got to me. And I remember looking up, like listening to the score after the movie came out, mm-hmm. just for that. <laughs> as as a standalone, like putting putting it. Oh, shut right. up, dogs. Like, like just to put on the CD and listen? Yeah. Okay. I, I, you know, I like when I can do that. I have I found myself seeking out ones to do that with, but it isn't something that I had always done. Uh, Me neither. Dave is a big score person. Yeah, not quite Scott Gardner level, but yeah. Okay, well, and yeah, you're giving it your, your thumbs up, so I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, now, this was a huge hit. The budget is $150 million. Did you look at the box office at all or no? Nope. It's worldwide just shy of nine hundred million. Yeah. 
they made a little bit of money on this one. <laughs> yeah, I think this was, if I again, if my memory is correct, I think this was their highest uh, highest at the time. And I think I think they outdid it with uh, one of the one of the final two. I think out outgrossed it. Mm-hmm. But I think up until then, this was the highest one. So it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, and now now I think we're at the point. I think each movie has a standalone quality to it, but I think we're losing a little bit more of that with each one. Mm-hmm. Well, I, the I books were that way too. Is is you've gained momentum now, right? But you can't just watch this movie by itself and then understand actually what's going on. You have to have at least seen the first one or two yeah. or three mm-hmm. to understand it. Yeah, because yeah, they're starting to use some shorthand in that. But yeah, now we're at Hogwarts instead of you know the big reveal. Sorry, I keep getting messages. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I was just looking at one of your notes. What do you got? She has a note about the wizard rock band at the Yule Ball. That, <laughs> that you do have that sort of... The Weird Sisters? The Weird yeah, Sisters, yes. Great. Not so, only was it a good you know, Easter egg from the book, it was nice to see that side of the wizarding world. Right. Well, what, what that scene did for me was it showed that despite what's going on in the wizarding world, these ki- these kids are kids the same way they are in the regular world, mm-hmm. dancing to to this music that I don't like, uh, <laughs> and and all very very into it and singing along with it and whatever. Now the group though, uh, there there was I know there was an issue. I'm just looking quick. There was an issue about it uh, with uh, there was a rights issue with the name that was played around in court. I don't know if there was a group that already had a had a name like that and sued. Paramount or Warner Brothers or whoever it was yeah. for, for it, or if it was the other way around, that after the movie came out, they tried to do it. Uh, I don't the, remember, the, but it, I, I remember something about it. There, there may have been a group that tried to do it. The, the wizard rock thing is actually a subgenre in real world music. Okay. In, in the movie, the band is made up of members of Radiohead and Pulp, among others. So they, they are real musicians. And those songs are also on the score, which is hilarious. So you can actually listen to, you know, can you dance with a hippogriff? <laughs> <laughs> and the other ones. Not only are you podcasting, you're singing on a podcast now. We're dragging her down with us. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not it, quite Dr. Bill level singing yet. Uh, and who is? Yeah. In all seriousness. No, no, nobody belts one out like Dr. Bill. Out of nowhere <laughs> in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> so, any anything more to add to this one before we start bringing it home? I have a lot of notes. Go ahead, <laughs> bring, bring us through them. That's that's. I'm 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 here to to gain from your expertise. Um, I think the only other new characters we missed were Barty Crouch Senior, um, Roger Lowell Pack. I don't really know the actor. He's he, dead he's now. He's passed away <laughs> now. Yeah. I don't remember who that is. No clue. All I know him from is this. He looked like no, Jay Jonah Jameson. I know that. <laughs> who who was he in the movie? I don't. Oh, he was the he was well Barty Cross Senior. He had the mustache. He died. Oh oh movie. oh okay. I understand what you said. You know what? I thought you were saying two different characters. I was saying oh, Barty Crouch Senior and somebody else. You're oh, saying no. Barty <laughs> Crouch Senior as played by this guy. Okay, yeah. I don't know him from anything else. Uh, I found him to be. I don't know, like just. Not quite what I expected. Yeah. I expected somebody who was a little bit more, like, businessman looking. And not quite as... Yeah, he boring. was... Boring? Yeah, boring, but he, he also had that weird, you know, rolling of the tongue when he spoke. Yeah, and, like, what was the deal with him, like, standing there with his hands out when he's giving... Like, he just didn't have... Because he's supposed to be very, very strict and strict and rigid and mm-hmm. then slowly goes downhill and crazy and disheveled, and he just didn't do that of course i guess they cut out that they cut out line. almost all of that yeah so i guess there was no point to it but he just it was like okay he's supposed to have like the rules and he's supposed to be a you know kind of a main big deal like they wanted him to be the minister of magic for a while but he just doesn't come across as likable or rememberable or no. i didn't care <laughs> when he died <laughs> well i i the way i took the character is he took his relationship to the ministry of magic as more important than his relationship with his son, which is one of the things that turned his son into a Death Eater. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that came across, that he, he, he wasn't exactly a family man. He was kind of a yes man for uh, for the ministry. 
And he, you know, I thought this, the scene in the pensive when he just kind of turns his back on him, that that effectively gave us that. But the problem I had with him as a character is you see him and you're thinking, well, I don't know who this is, so I don't really care. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if he had been in Prisoner of Azkaban, then maybe by the time we got to him here, it would have been a little bit of a gut punch to have to see how he turned his back on his son and the fact that his son betrayed him. But since we never got any of that, it's just like, eh, all right. <laughs> you know? It's kind of hollow. Yeah. Right. And like, they, are they even close? You know, he's like, hello, father. You're no son of mine. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Next that's scene. cool. <laughs> they, they didn't earn the betrayal is basically what it comes down to. Right. And that is a big deal, too. I mean, they even mention you're, he was, he, they know that he did the Cruciatus curse on the, or Frank Longbottom and his, and his wife. Hello, Neville's parents. Yeah. That could have been a huge deal. It was a huge deal in the book. Right. Yeah. They, they, you know, they, you know, went away, and I guess in the next book we hear a lot more about that, right? And what happened, but it was particularly significant. And I think Neville is a more significant character in the books than he is in the movies in, in general. Mm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. In fact, it's funny. Well, not funny, but that scene where Barty Crouch, or uh, well, where Mad Eye Moody played, who is actually Barty Crouch Jr. in disguise. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> where he's doing the Cruciatus curse on the spider, and he's making Neville watch it. Like it's sad in the movie, but then after you know what happened in the book to his parents, and you go back and watch it, that's the Death Eater who was torturing, who tortured his parents to insanity, and now he's showing their son this in front of his face. I mean, it's just like that's more. There's more yeah. weight there than you realize. It's a Ooh. gut punch to me. Yeah, I agree. I think that's supposed to be significant that he's showing it to his son. And and, and they, they, they kind of gloss over it a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And again, I mean, that may be a uh, concession to the time. I think, like I said, Neville is more important in the uh, in the books in general, and I think he was sacrificed somewhat for time. Hmm. You know, there's, there's, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but they do try to build up the whole thought that with the prophecies and all, that Neville could have been the one that was prophesized, not Harry. Yeah. In the books, in the they books. don't really bring that up in the movies at all. But that's, you know, that's a pretty significant point. Yeah. He could have been just as easily the chosen one. Right. Mm-hmm. He, there were two boys that fit the criteria. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things that should be obvious, Dumbledore's screaming. Oh, yeah. This, this is the movie of the screaming Dumbledore. Yes, it yeah. is. Did you, and, and, and I still watch it that he's more concerned about what's going on, but still, that's not, that's not Dumbledore's style. Dumbledore is also yeah. is given a little bit more leeway. Uh, now, I know, I know Hogwarts is the host school, but he's almost running this tournament where he's really not supposed to be. Mm hmm. You know, right. he, he gathers them together and says, oh, you know, we're, we're going to give, we're gonna, even though Harry came up last, we're going to give him second place. You know, <laughs> so, you know it, it, that, should, that should be done without Dumbledore. Agreed. And this is the one where Michael Gambon really started to separate himself from Richard Harris. And he's, mm-hmm. he's a little bit more manic Dumbledore instead of Dumbledore, Dumbledore from the books. <laughs> but yeah. he does, I, he calibrates that throughout the movies. He never quite reaches where I think he, Dumbledore should be, but... Did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Slow your roll, dude. I don't, see, dial I, it down. <laughs> I don't see Richard Harris doing it that way. No. And the problem is I, I still think Richard Harris was the ideal Dumbledore. He, at least as portrayed... I mean, I and I know when he filmed that he was dying, so he was very weak in real life. But the way he presented in the movies, there was a certain strength about him. But it wasn't a, he could overpower you in a fight strength. It was a, he knows more than you, he can do more than you strength. Yeah, easily. Whereas, yeah, whereas Michael Gambon is more of the, he's going to shout you down. (laughs) And, and you know, in in the books, you know, they mention more than once that uh, Dumbledore is the only one Voldemort was ever afraid of. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, to me, Richard Harris kind of presented that better. Yeah, because he would, he, you know, most people would be terrified to see the sight of Voldemort, and it wouldn't even phase Dumbledore. But yeah. We're, we might be jumping ahead on that one. Because yeah, we are. Well, we're gonna, one, you we're gonna really get, have to deal with it yet, yeah. We're going to get to that in, the, in our next uh, get-together, <laughs> and we'll talk about that some more. 
Um, other than that, I mean, we have the Patel twins, but they're just kind of thrown in there, and it's not really a big deal. And they're not a big deal in the book that much anyway, so. They're just a recurring character. And, and in, well, in, in the movie and in the book, they are presented as ultimately the two that Harry and Ron take to the to the to the ball, mm-hmm. right. uh, the Yule ball, and and they're effectively just ignoring them because they took them because they needed a date, but that's the only reason they took them, right? Uh, and I think that's well presented in the movie and in the book without dwelling on it too long. So I, I thought they I I don't I don't think they dropped the ball on that one. I don't think you know they're, they're negligible characters because they're a prop a, a plot device, mm-hmm. right? That was something I did like. There, there's a lot more teenage angst in here. There, you know, they really get that feeling of boys not wanting to dance with the girls, and there's so that's where some of the humor came in. And there's a lot more magic happening, and a lot more hair. <laughs> a lot more. Hair. Everybody has long hair. Everybody in this has movie. long hair. Yeah, Harry's Harry's got like a, a his his hair is like a helmet on his head. Yeah. <laughs> Although it looks more like it did in the as described in the books. Hmm. Oh, speaking of Hermione's big moment. Oh, she's beautiful. Yeah, you, you, she looks exactly the same as she did in the scene before, dude. Except in a pink <laughs> dress instead of a blue dress, which why did they do that? But whatever. I have to say, <laughs> I thought just... that uh, in this in this particular movie, I thought Emma Watson took a little bit of a step back acting-wise. Mm-hmm. I thought, Agreed. whereas in the second and third movies, she seemed to grow consistently between the two movies. This one, she had some wooden deliveries that almost reminded me of the first movie. Oh, yeah. I agree. I don't I don't know why, but, yeah, it was not her best performance. It's a little... It's awkward. awkward. It's like she phoned it in. Yeah. yeah. Daniel Radcliffe, I kind of... I feel like he's just kind of found his level at this point. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, he, he's Grint consistent with where he with where he was in the first one, but I thought Rupert Grint actually grew a little bit as an actor. In yeah. This one. yeah. He he managed to play that anger and and you know just new emotions you hadn't seen in Jealousy. Ron yet. Yeah. And and that may not be so much him growing as an actor as being given a little bit of meat in the role to play with, mm-hmm. because he was given the you know in, in the previous movies there were points where he was kind of treated as a little bit of a clown. Uh, and I don't think that happened in this one. He got to play the anger. He got to play. Uh, I, I actually like when uh, at, at, when the water scene, when uh, when Floor comes over to him and says, and you helped too. And he's like, oh, yeah, a bit. I, I, don't know. <laughs> I, I, just felt, I felt like he, he, he could have overplayed that really easily, and he didn't. I, yeah. I think he, he's finding his way to rein, rein in his performance and, and be, uh, you know, be, comic, be comical in a non-over-the-top way. Agreed. Yeah. So I guess that brings us to the big questions in this one, which are, first of all, where does it fall on the Jaws scale? Do I need to give the scale, or can we get away with not doing it this time? I think we can get away with not doing it. <laughs> right, there we go. So I'm going to start this time out with you, Dave. What do you think? Uh, I, I was at a solid Jaws 2, and I'm gonna, I think I'm going to stay there. It's mid-level Jaws 2. It's, it's competent. It's beautiful. There are some really good performances, but it never really gets high-level Jaws 2 even. It had a lot of structure that was that was taken out, like a honeycomb. Okay. Holly, what do you think? I'll agree. I think it's a middle Jaws 2. Um, I like the cinematography. I like most of the acting. The effects still hold up. Mm-hmm. But it's not a standalone movie. You need to have seen at least another one. But it's still enjoyable to watch, and I do still get some emotional effects, especially when Cedric dies. And yeah his dad's crying over him <laughs> but uh, and it's funny in some places so yeah solid jaws two for me okay i'm gonna probably be the the most well not gonna probably because you've already given your reviews i'm gonna be the most negative but not by a not by a lot because i'm gonna give it a lower level jaws two for me uh and that is with the concession on my part that i said very early in the episode that i'm not sure i'm being entirely fair because i'm not totally separating the movie from the book hmm and some th- some of my disappointment with what they left out of the book has always carried over in this one. I could see that. I could see that. I think that's that's some of my baggage as well. Now, there are things that I think they could have added, like whenever, like the at least the third task, like show him preparing for the third task. He actually, you know, show him learning new blue spells, more magic. You, you know, mean like a, a Harry Potter Rocky montage. I want to see a Harry Potter Rocky montage. <laughs> You know, it, 
it could work. It could definitely work. I don't know if I'd go for the Rocky montage, but definitely <laughs> have him be really concerned about what this third task is going to be. Because if I remember right, he is in the book, uh-huh. uh, and you know, and, and show that you know, show the show the level of gravitas to what's going on. I, I think un- until Cedric, until Cedric dies, I, I think you always feel like, well, these are games that are under control and nobody could get hurt. Right. You know, I agree. Yeah, and, and but in I, the books, they were they were actually terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so they I, made it a big deal. They they even said it in the movie, but it wasn't. It didn't feel like a big deal. Like we put an age limit on it. No, oh, that's rubbish. Okay, you know, it yeah. didn't really feel like you know they didn't explain. People have died in the tournament in the past. You yeah, know, it's a big deal, but we just kind of glossed over it. Yeah, this should almost the, the games should almost have a Hunger Games feel to it. <laughs> but you know, that said, I, I you know. Like with all the, the Harry Potter movies, I still enjoyed it very much. Uh, but if I'm going to rank them, which is what we do next, uh, coming into this, I had the third movie was top ranked, then number two, then number one. So I reversed the three. And I'm going to put this under number one. This is the lowest ranked of the four for me so far. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember what I ranked. I, I do have them written down somewhere for you, but I don't. <laughs> But I don't have that in front of me. I think you, I think you were one three two. I'm not 100 percent sure about that though. I think I was two one th- two one three. I think so, that's correct. Yeah. This is higher than two for me. Yeah. There's still only one movie that I have a really low ranking for. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something something to not look forward to or look forward to. But uh, a little bit of both. <laughs> so, so you're so you're going to put it. Under number two for you, Holly. So that would be one, two, four, three. Wait. Oh, I mean above no, two. I'm sorry. Above two. So it'd be one, still... one. Actually, I'm, th- I'm thinking. I'm thinking now. You're one, three, four, two. That seems right. That seems right for me. And Dave, I know you had number three ranked lowest. Yeah. So two, one, four, three. Yeah, that sounds exactly one, right. That sounds right. I'm gonna have to make notes again. So next time around, because it only gets more confusing as we add movies to the mix. (laughs) But uh, that'll do it for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Next time around, we get to uh, do Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And by way of of teaser for that, uh, that was the first book that I obtained the day it came out. Hmm. Uh, And it was actually, of the seven books, it was the one that was the slowest read for me. Amen, yeah. Yeah. So going into that one, because the book was a slow read and the book didn't feel like it had a lot of action, my anticipation level was a little low for the movie. And I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) We'll talk about what I thought of the movie next time around. And uh, much like James Bond, Dave and Holly will be back. (laughs) Thank you, for everybody, for listening, and thank you guys for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, It's always my pleasure. Marvelous creatures, dragons, aren't they? Did you think that miserable oaf would have led you into the woods if I hadn't suggested it? Pink Cedric Diggory! I'd have told you to open the egg underwater if I hadn't told him first myself! You think Neville Longbottom, the witless wonder, could have provided you with Gillyweed if I hadn't given him the book that led him straight to it? It was you from the beginning. You put my name in the Goblet of Fire. You bewitched Crumb, but... (laughs) You won because I made it so, Potter. You ended up in that graveyard tonight because it was meant to be so. And now the deed is done. Blood that runs through these veins runs within the Dark Lord. Are you out of Samudi? 
Are you? No. Is he in this room? Is he in this room? How do you get away from there? Alistair. I'm sorry, Albus. That's moody, but then who's... Polyjuice potion. Now we know who's been stealing from your store, Severus. We'll catch up in a minute. You show me yours. Your arm hurts. You know what this means, don't you? He's back. Lord Voldemort has returned. I'm sorry, sir. I couldn't help it. Send an owl to Azkaban. I think they'll find they're missing a prisoner. I'll be welcome back like a hero. Perhaps. Percy, I've never had much time for heroes. 